0: Eating for better health is a good idea, of course. Almost always, the message is eat for muscle or bone health or eat for less fat. All good things. But eating for gut health is at least as important. There is a whole world of stuff in our guts. Only recently has anyone decided to pay attention to that, and that is also a good thing. For you attentive listeners, I'm going more for Olaf than for Martha. The Eating Liberty Podcast, Episode 233, Food and Freedom, Once a Week for Life. Dan Reed here. Today's show is about gut stuff. With gut stuff, there is the necessary talk about the after gut stuff. What goes in has to come out, and Katie and I will be discussing that in some pretty plain terms. If that's not for you, now is the time to stop listening. Katie Lovett is my guest today. Katie is a registered dietitian nutritionist and an integrative and functional nutrition certified practitioner. As a functional gut dietitian, Katie is on a mission to empower people to get the answers they need in order to heal from chronic gut symptoms. She has seen conventional medical systems fail by not asking the how and the why, especially around something so crucial as gut health. Hello, Katie. Thank you for joining me on the Eating Liberty Podcast.
1: Thanks so much for having me, Dan. Glad to be here.
0: I'm glad you're here too, because we're going to talk about gut stuff. And, well, listeners, the, the frank truth is you can't talk about gut stuff without talking about some funny sounding words. So we're going to talk about farts <laughs> and poop. Just want you to know that's going to happen. If this is not the episode for you, that's okay. Um, so before we do that, so yeah, I'm making be and butthead jokes in my head. Um, give us a quick bio about you and how you ended up in this particular field.
1: Yeah, for sure. So I am a registered dietitian I just thought nutrition and food was really cool. I actually started out college as a journalism major, realized that not what I love, but I happened to take a nutrition class as a science without a lab. And I was like, this is really awesome to learn how food is working in the body. So went into dietetics and it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. It was very clinical, (laughs) very um, how to manage a hospital cafeteria, very food pyramid, very how to calculate tube feed not using food as medicine right like just it was nutrition within the construct of Western medicine which is kind of more sick care than health care so um, years later, came across functional medicine, was, you know, fell in love. This is what I was hoping to learn in college. And just a, you know, cool reminder that everything happens for a reason. In order to get the advanced credential that I got in functional medicine nutrition, you had to be a dietitian. So it kind of led me down that path for a reason. So I wouldn't have been able to do what I'm doing with the training that I did now if I hadn't done the thing that I thought was not for me. So (laughs) did that. And um, you know, I really, you're told you have to pick a niche, right? You need to pick a group of people, specific group of people to work with. Just functional nutrition is too broad. And really it can be challenging to do something that's that broad because our bodies are so complex. It's hard to be an expert in everything, right? That's why you see doctors specialize. Um, The problem with the specialists in Western medicine is looking at everything in a vacuum, right? With with complete disregard for everything else. So I specialized in gut health, but I have an awareness of other things as well and how our gut interacts with the rest of the body. Um, And I, I chose gut health because I felt like as a dietitian, it was well within my area of expertise with food, right? Your gut directly interacts with food. And Transforming your gut health can transform your overall health. It has the biggest impact out of any other area of health on everything else. If you're... Gut is what I call a hot mess. It's going to impact your mental health, your, you know, literal neurotransmitters and brain function. It's going to impact blood sugar. It's going to impact hormones. It's going to impact your skin. So if your gut's a mess, you're a mess, right? So if you can clean your gut up and make sure your gut health is really strong and on point, a lot of other things tend to follow suit. And then that just leaves you with maybe a few things to go chase versus 25. That makes sense.
0: It does make sense, and so there's there's probably five dozen different strings to pull as the place to begin. Yeah, and and one point I want to make sure that we address because I I follow a lot of um, keto and diet. Some of them are call themselves gurus. I'm not entirely convinced. I agree with that. But one of the one of the one of the pushes in any guru niche, certainly for health and whatever side you're going, is this idea that there's one solution to your problem. There's one mm-hmm. solution to everyone's problem. One size fits all, and that's just a bunch of hooey. It's absolutely it's not, not the case. And so, what I think I want to do to get to now, you focus on women, but I think that gut health problem is not unique to women. I think there are certainly plenty of men who have the same problems. And I just
1: signed up with a new man today, actually. So I do work with men. I just mostly speak to women because they're the ones who are most outspoken about gut health issues. So. Huh.
0: That, yeah, I, I really don't know. That could be. Um, so let's let's invent. We'll, we'll call them. I don't know. We'll call. Them, I, I like Frank and Sally. My favorite go-to names. Um, and Frank and Sally have been eating the standard American diet for their whole life. Because why wouldn't they? They were told, "This is what you eat. You eat the food pyramid." Oh, which? Sorry. Now we eat my plate, which is just <laughs> full of crap, just full of garbage. And so, and I, if you are as the listener, go grocery shopping. Pay attention to the people in the store. Pay attention to what's in the cart. I also mm-hmm. I also DoorDash, and I have DoorDashed for donuts and Gatorade and limited cup of soups and Pepto Bismol. Yeah. Well, oh, I'm there's sure. a correlation here, dear customer. That the reason you need <laughs> the last is because you eaten the first. So there's there's lots of sources for problems. So we and so. Sugar is a big deal. I think sugar is going to, now you can answer, you can talk to this. I think sugar is going to upset the pH of our stomach, which is going to cause the bacteria that live in our stomach to be unhappy. Unhappy bacteria make unhappy humans, and unhappy humans turn to pharmacology, even over the counter stuff, Tums. I don't know if aids is still a thing anymore. Um, or stronger <laughs> Zantac, version. or Zantac, yeah. or Well, that's gone mm-hmm. too, right? They took that away. Yeah. Um, Pepsid and the mm. – now, I have not personal experience, but I know a person who has been eating Pepsid and Zantac when they had it like candy. Mm. I think there's some very serious stomach lining issues going on with these people. So let's talk. Absolutely. So we have Frank and Sally who are eating the standard American diet. Now, I think really to get a good sense of what's going on in the gut, we got to go down the line a bit longer. And yeah. We've, I think, knowing because I went keto-ish for a while, and I started paying attention to what goes out as a direct relationship to what goes in. Mm-hmm. So let's let's not get gross, but let's talk about how can Frank and Sally assess their wellness. Based on what comes out, if it comes out, and in what
1: condition? Yeah, I think that's a really great question. So, and I I get asked that a lot, right? Of what is normal? Like, how do I know if I'm constipated? Like, it's not something we talk about, right? Every day. So, you don't necessarily know how you're stacking up. And I think. The guidelines given if you were to ask your doctor are so broad and maybe they're average, but that doesn't mean they're optimal. Um, So, you know, ideally somebody is going to be going to the bathroom at least once a day, but probably no more than three times a day if you are straining and going every single day, you may still be constipated, you know? Um, If they look like little bunny pellets, um, you could just be not getting enough water, not getting enough fiber, but I would still kind of put that in the constipated realm. You're probably not fully eliminating that uh, bowel movement um, whenever you're going. And then on the opposite end of that spectrum, Even if you're only going once a day, but you're having urgency where it's like, I got to find the bathroom now. Um, You're always kind of subconsciously knowing like, okay, bathrooms there, bathrooms there. Like anywhere you go, you kind of know where the bathrooms are. You carry extra clothes in your bag or, you know, medication in case it hits. Like you're only going once a day. You're having diarrhea, you know? So I think that there's some nuance to it. You can't just say, like, oh, three times a week to three times a day is normal. Um, you know, there's some nuance to how are you going? Is it really urgent? Is it painful? Are you straining? And then you're looking, you know, look at what comes out of you, just like you were saying, like, look and see. Like most people don't. And you know, you want it to be medium brown color. If it's a different color, you know, maybe it's red because you ate a lot of beets or beet juice or something. But if there's blood in your stool, that's not normal. If it's the color of my vase behind me, which is like a golden yellow color, that's not normal. That can tell us that maybe something's wrong with the gallbladder, or the liver that needs to be explored. Um, if you're seeing pieces of food that are not broken down, try chewing your food a little better, right? Um, you want it to be medium brown color. Um, of smooth like a snake and um about the length of your forearm actually is the normal bowel movement size and that can be throughout the day so if you're going a couple of times like that's kind of the cumulative amount if you're if your stool's smaller than that maybe you're not getting enough fiber you know because fiber is what's coming out that's the pieces that aren't used by the body
0: now because i surf all these different people and pay attention to them on twitter a little bit maybe it's just to get their 15 minutes maybe there's legitimate something behind their claim but i read and they didn't pursue it because it, it wasn't that interested i figured it would show up again but somebody said something about f- fiber isn't really necessary and so and this was not a carnivore guy the carnivore guys are absolutely opposed <laughs> to plants entirely
1: yes and
0: yes. And they make so. This is this is the people in advocating for one particular. And I'm going to use this phrase: extreme diet. Mm-hmm. All meat seems extreme yeah. because there's a lot of it other things to extreme. eat. I think yeah. veganism is extreme because there's a lot of other things to eat. And the vegans would the vegans don't like me anyway because they go after them. But <laughs> there's I, there are ways to have balance and. So I don't know – so maybe like we talk about reducing carbs. Well, what we, what I mean when I say reducing carbs is reduce the donuts and the chocolate chips uh, and the cookies and go after the cauliflower and the broccoli and the cabbage. Yeah. Now, as it happens, that's probably also increasing fiber content. So mm-hmm. I don't want to make this a show about fiber, but is – so I know there's two kinds, soluble and insoluble. What is the fiber? If if the person saying, Boy, you know, I probably should add fiber in my diet, but mm-hmm. also exclude some of the things that are you know, that aren't really food. Anything processed yeah. in a bag that has an expiration date of the next millennium, that's not food. <laughs> Eat the package, throw yep. away the contents. Um, <laughs> you'll probably <laughs> be better off. So just quickly, insoluble or, in, or soluble, or a balance of both, and and how and what is a reasonable intake? Is is fiber measured in grams?
1: yeah so fiber is measured in grams i you know but you're not going to measure it if you're eating it from real foods like broccoli and cauliflower necessarily unless you're tracking your intake and if what i was saying a minute ago about like the amount that you should be going to the bathroom is kind of resonating it may be worth tracking your food for a few days to see how much you're getting because you you may be low um Ideally, you wanna be 25 to 35 grams a day. Um, Some people say you know our hunter-gatherer ancestors ate upwards of 100 grams a day. Um, Our microbiomes have evolved since then, so that means the tummy bugs in your large intestine have changed and adapted, but not all the way to a fully processed diet, right? So if you go try and eat 100 grams of fiber tomorrow, (laughs) you're probably gonna not feel very good. So um, you wanna increase it slowly. Don't go add, you know, a huge fiber supplement, you know, to get your fiber. Like that's just relying on a supplement to fix a food problem. So I'm not opposed to a fiber supplement to help out and make sure and round out, but we want it to be coming from food because we know that there's something magic in food that man can't recreate, right? Like foods are so complex. We still don't know all of the different components and different, you know, polyphenols and vegetables and fruits. Like we still don't fully understand everything, but we know that actual nutrients from actual food is going to be more effective and healthier and better for your body than a supplement.
0: Right. And so this starts getting in because we can't address everybody at all things. I, I think the, the focusing on our, our, our two fictional people, there's, there's a, an interesting, you know, interesting, probably but not really helpful thing that has happened over the course of well, maybe a hundred years, but certainly in the last sixty, and that is the proliferation of processed foods. So, mm-hmm. and and there's there's kind of maybe maybe now that more people who are getting into what you're calling it, what you are in functional medicine, uh, or simply people who are choosing a particular diet, extreme or otherwise, are probably more aware of what's going on in their body and with their body than the folks who just ate what they were told to eat. So you brought up the phrase, food is medicine, which is completely true. But the opposite of that is food is poison, which is also completely true. So Mm -hmm. it sounds, it, it gets kind of weird quickly that if if certain foods are so bad, why would they sell them? Well, that's a whole other show and and I've actually probably done that show. Um, but the the choices people make about the things they put in their face, which go into their gut, which go out at some
1: point mm-hmm. and get absorbed <laughs> into their body, run. right? Right. So that's circulated throughout their entire body.
0: Right. So now we have the macros protein, fat, carbs, and all the micronutrients. And that's, that's I think, the beginning of the problem where a lot of people, even myself, I know that I need them and I have sources to get them. And one of them is I eat a much better salt, Redmond real salt. But I also, it gets hard fast. And by eating the bad stuff, and I'm going to judgment call. Yes, Twinkies are bad stuff. Pop-tarts are bad stuff. Um, I, th- I think there is a not just the absence of the good stuff, but I think there's actual harm done mm-hmm. to our system by eating the bad stuff. And this gets to something I think is important, which is kind of for every person, they're going to have to figure out what is the root cause of my problem. I think yeah. so what my goal here is to empower the listener with a little bit of a little bit of information to start to it's not the physician healer that self thing, but in kind of a way it is that you are your first line of defense or offense to your health and wellness. But you have to know what's going on.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. You have to be empowered to advocate for your own health. And I think As Americans, we've taken the back seat for too long and just said, okay, just tell me what to do, Doc. You know, like just relying on on them to tell us, oh, take this pill and do this and where has it gotten us? You know? And I think going back to your comment about packaged and processed food over the last sixty years, I think it was a little bit of a pride thing of humanity, right? Where it's like, we know better than nature. Like science knows better than nature, and we're gonna go make this food. And it's gonna even better because we're going to fortify it. And we're going to add all this stuff that nature is missing or that nature doesn't have. And, you know, it's just been this big experiment that's flopped. Right. And our bodies aren't are resilient, but not as resilient as maybe it was thought that they were right. Like a calorie is not a calorie is not a calorie. You know, food is information that goes to your body. And so I think it's just really taking responsibility for your own health and seeing the power that comes with that to be able to make those decisions. And I think it has to start kind of top down. You know, functional medicine is not, you know, honestly accessible to everyone right now. Insurance doesn't cover it. It's not widely taught. But as we continue, it's going to become more and more accessible and more and more available in culture. Just like 60 years ago, processed food. Those TV dinners were a luxury, right? Because they were so expensive <laughs> and now it's flipped and so we need to just flip things back a little bit to, to where it's more broad throughout our culture.
0: It's funny, I remember, yeah, the, the, it was the big deal, getting the yeah. getting Salisbury steak from, from Banquet.
1: Ooh, look at yeah. that!
0: And dessert, it comes with the
1: dessert! Flying fly high.
0: <laughs> um, so Food in, so he made an interesting point, and I think, and this is kind of a hard thing to grasp, and we won't. Calorie in doesn't always equal calorie out, and and it's not like those math books back when I was a kid. Um, One of the things I think that people don't pay attention to as consuming of calories is just sitting on the couch. Flipping the channels does consume calories. Not very many, but it does consume calories. And so it isn't expecting recreation to burn off the excess stored calories stored in the form of fat is probably not going to work. But that's also another show. And I haven't done that show. I need to do that show. But yeah, that'd be a good show. There's so we have a, so we, we're, we're consuming. I'm mean, using the row we, well, every, the inclusive we. So we're consuming, we're consuming crap. So garbage in, now the system, our gut biome, and our body are having to deal with things they don't really want to deal with. They're going to do it, and they're going to either cause inflammation, which makes your pants don't fit because you're you're swollen, and your intestines are a little bit swollen. So that's a weird thing to say, but don't fit very well. don't feel very good. I can't bend down, tie my shoes. Something just, I feel gaseous inside mm-hmm. or legitimate stomach pain. Now, those things, we everybody knows what stress feels like. It's 4.55 on Friday. The boss comes and says, I need you to do this hour-long project in seven minutes. They're like, oh, my God. thats That stress is real stress. But there's also physiological stress that you don't necessarily feel. But your body says, Oh, well, you wanna feel Ha, huh, try this. Yeah. And what's going on when, when we have stress and then we're we're eating genetically modified bananas, and you should probably I don't know. I don't I'm on the fence about bananas. I don't eat them, but I'm on the fence about bananas. But you're eating GMOs and you're causing gut stress and you're eating lots of sugar and so you have a Peanut butter and jelly sandwich on white bread and potato chips and an apple. That's your lunch. There's not really any food there, it's just all mm-hmm. sugar. What, how over 40 years is what's going on in the body? What problems are happening at the cellular, microbiological level, especially with our gut biome? And then let's talk about how that affects the gut and brain access, because I think that's important. Yeah.
1: It's so important. So I want everyone to think about this theory called the triage theory. And it was something I learned about whenever I was doing my functional training. Um, And if you think about an emergency room, like the example that comes to mind, just because of my timeline is like Grey's Anatomy episode, right? Where like there was this episode where there was like a bus and they were going to a wedding or something. And there was this like horrific accident. There's like 50 patients with, you know, varying injuries getting rolled into this emergency room and the team is there and they have like a system, like a color code system to like tag the most urgent people to get these people triaged as quickly as possible. And that's what our body's doing every single day with nutrition and nutrients. So there's this triage theory of nutrients. And we're not going to talk about microbiome specifically with this example, because it doesn't, The person who came up with this theory was speaking to nutrients, but I think it's fair enough to um, extend it a little bit into the microbiome and we can talk about that too. Um, But your body wants to keep you alive today, first and foremost, right? So it's not concerned about making babies 15 years down the road um, if you don't have enough nutrients to get through today if you don't have the nutrient stores to keep your immune system strong to keep you you know, from getting sick and dying, if you don't have enough nutrient stores to let you walk and breathe today. So it's using all of the nutrients that you have for immediate needs. And then if everything is well and you have plenty of nutrients and everything like that, things are working well down the road too, right? But it comes to a point where your body has been in this immediate keep alive state for so long that's why we start to see people get sicker as they get older and more time goes on because now all of a sudden you're 30 or 35 and you're a woman and you can't get pregnant or you're a man and you have low sperm count um, because you don't have the nutrition. You haven't had the nutrition for decades. And so your body is fine. You know, it's not a problem that just developed, it's been developing, but you're just now seeing the effects of it because your body is really resilient and has done a really good job of sustaining with very limited um, means for a really long time. And then, you know, you go keep going down the road. Well, now you have all this inflammation that you were talking about a minute ago. You've had it for 20 or 30 years. Now your body starts, your immune system's not working properly, starts tagging itself. You have an autoimmune condition or you start to develop Alzheimer's disease, which is also linked to the microbiome. But that's that triage theory of your body's going to use what it has for its immediate needs first to keep you alive through today. And then it's going to worry about the future. And then with the microbiome, it's changing every single day. You know, if you took a stool test, like I use with my clients, you know, every day for a week, your microbiome makeup would look slightly different every single day. It changes based on what's passing through. And so if you are just feeding it junk, you know, day in and day out of sugar and all of that, I tell my kids, I have young kids, I try and make it fun for them, but I think it's fun to keep it fun for everyone. I call the good bugs, you know, the good bacteria and organisms in your microbiome are good tummy bugs, and they're the ones that are eating fiber and polyphenols and all of those nutrients that our bodies need also, they're also good for your good tummy bugs. So we would say you have to feed your good tummy bugs to keep them healthy. Um, if you're eating a bunch of sugar, over-processed starch and all of that, you're feeding the more opportunistic organisms that are normal to be there, but they eat more sugar and starches and all of that. And so your good tummy bugs are starving to death and your opportunistic guys are having a dance party and (laughs) creating all kinds of inflammation from there. Um, So we can kind of talk about how that extends into the rest of the gut and body from there, but I'll take a break in case you want to make a comment.
0: No, I I think that that's, I I, I like the happy tummy bugs. (laughs) So the, the opportunistic tummy bugs Are, well, so two things. Are the happy tummy bugs interested in what the opportunistic bugs are eating?
1: You mean do they eat them as well?
0: So if I'm if I'm eating a white bread, peanut butter and jelly sandwich, is there anything there that the good bugs are interested in?
1: Are getting. I mean, if you're making jelly or getting like a whole fruit jam, right, where there might be some actual nutrients and fruit in it, maybe. If it's like a natural <laughs> peanut butter, right, with like actual okay. peanuts, maybe. Okay. You know. But if it's like the white bread, highly processed, you know, sugar is the first ingredient, jelly with like Coloring added to it to make it look like there's fruit in it and, you know, highly processed peanut butter, probably not so much, you know, you're just feeding those opportunistic guys with that.
0: So the good ones being starved, is there, I guess I'm sort of wondering if there's like this mortal combat between the opportunistic bugs and the good bugs and are, is, is there microbiome murder happening in the stomach or is it just being, <laughs> are you just being starved to death or is it?
1: Yeah. They're just kind of being starved out. Like they're friendly neighbors. Like they kind of cohabitate together, you know, naturally. Um, but you want to keep your good tummy bugs abundant so that those opportunistic guys aren't given too much space to overgrow. Um, so when that happens, let me just kind of walk through what that looks like. So the good tummy bugs, let's just talk about what they do, right? Like they're making some nutrients for us. We know that they make nutrients that then are reabsorbed into our body. They're helping keep our mucus lining. We actually have a mucosal lining in our, in our, along our intestines they're making that lining. They make short-chain fatty acids, which which are fuel for the lining of our gut. If you've heard of leaky gut, that's where that breakdown happens of that mucosal lining, the epithelial cells. So your skin is epithelial cells. It's the same kind of cells lining your intestines. Those start to break down and become damaged and it can let things into your body that should not be there. So I always say like, your, your gut is kind of like a bouncer at a club and a CIA all in one. So it's letting things into the body or kicking them out, like keeping them out of the body. And it's also gathering information about our environment and what's going on and communicating that to our body from there. So it's like a bouncer and a CIA. Because um, if you think about it, the inside of your gut is actually the outside world. It's a tube that's open at both ends. It's like a garden hose. So like the inside of your gut is actually the outside world. And it determines what's allowed into your body to circulate your bloodstream. So if that's broken down you're getting things into your body that shouldn't be there. Um, so that's large particles of food that aren't fully digested that your body doesn't know what to do with. So it flags it. You start getting all these food sensitivities going on. Um, there is some molecular mimicry is what it's called between some of these particles or toxins that can look like our own tissue. And that's how gut health contributes to autoimmune conditions. Um, you can start to have, it's actually thought like with Alzheimer's and um you know, gut-brain axis that you were wanting to mention, those plaques that are formed in Alzheimer's are actually, they've been shown to actually start down by the gut and travel up to the brain via the vagus nerve is how they're physically connected to each other. And those plaques are, you know, it's called type 3 diabetes sometimes, now Alzheimer's diseases. So too much sugar causing that gut breakdown, feeding those, you know, opportunistic organisms, and then it can you know, lead to plaque formation in some people, depending on, kind of depends on that's where your genes become involved, right? It's kind of like, what's your weakest link? Like, what are you predisposed to develop whenever you're going through all of this? Um, and then also, you know, the opportunistic guys, they can, you can be like yeast, candida. So you can start to have a lot of like yeast infections, stuff like that. And they can also travel up into the small intestine where it's not completely sterile, but there's not where most of your microbiome is. The small intestine is more for humans. It's where we absorb our nutrients and then any waste that we don't use that's not absorbed is then passed into the large intestine for the microorganisms. But those opportunistic guys can overgrow really quickly and move into the small intestine and create what's called SIBO or small intestine bacterial overgrowth. Um, That's where you get a lot of bloating. It can really contribute to a lot of IBS types of symptoms from there.
0: And I'm pretty certain that alzheimers is not going to start in a week i think that yeah. i think one of the reasons we see it in old people is it took decades to get there my decades my grandmother had um had and died from well maybe complications but alzheimers yeah. um and i i the only thing i remember her making and my god was it good was she was polish so she made goonky The meat and rice stuffed cabbage, you know, baked in the tomato sauce. Oh my god, (laughs) (laughs) fabulous! I miss it. I miss it tremendously because I can't get a cabbage the size of a football football helmet anymore. (laughs) But that's what you want, want, because you want a big, really big. Um, But I don't know what she ate. I mean, and she ate tomatoes and she grew low acid tomatoes because my grandpa liked the low acid and had stomach problems. I have no idea. I mean, he was an alcoholic, so maybe that was part of the problem. But when you're yeah. three, four, five, and six, those aren't things you know about your grandparents. Why right. would you know that Right,
1: stuff? exactly. Um,
0: so, probably not with Alzheimer's, although diet change might. I, th- I think they're probably I think the people that do these things are probably looking at that. Yes. But for SIBO and other kinds of inflammation, I think that a diet change in a day, maybe in a couple of days, I think is a much quicker turnaround and much easier to observe. Wow, okay. I ate and this is where keeping track of foods, even writing it down. I know there's some apps that do a good job of that, counting all the micronutrients and all that stuff. But just keeping track. What so I eat something on Monday and by Wednesday I feel, wow, I don't feel good at all. And yeah. it might it might take a day or two, but then you start putting these together. Um mm-hmm. I I noticed, and this is going to be a red flag for people who pay attention to CNN, that I bought a—I'm not going to say the name—but I bought a brand name of sugar-free chocolate bar. So, Mm -hmm. and I've had them before, and it was fine. I said, "Okay, I like this brand; I trust them." Uh, It was white chocolate with erythritol. Mm -hmm. Oh my God! Mm -hmm. So, well, okay, slow down. (laughs) First of all, your body makes it, so stop with that. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But I noticed that. After eating this, a, a, a portion of this bar, not a lot. The next day, I say, like, "Wow, this is this is and not the bargain."
1: Yeah, um, that sugar alcohol is not. I digest it; it can cause a lot of problems. It
0: can cause a lot of problems. And I eat other things with 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 erythritol or monk fruit or a few. I have it because I'm working and doing keto stuff here. I'm trying to eliminate sugar and all the things I can. And when you go to the grocery store, it's very hard to do. So. I haven't, that's never, that one bar, that one product was the thing that caused like this. Wow. All right. Well, <laughs> I, I waited yeah, a couple of days so maybe, maybe that worse. wasn't it. Maybe it was because I had a bunch of stuff. Maybe it was all the cabbage ate. Nope, mm-hmm. but in the cab, was the bar? So, it was the bar? I have, I have successfully eliminated. Well, I've, I made a joke. I have eliminated that. Yes, I have. But I've yeah. also <laughs> um, <laughs> multiple
1: ways. Yeah, and I actually have. I actually have Dan on my website a free symptom tracker, and um, we can include the link for people too. I know we'll probably talk about all that later, but free symptom tracker with an interpretation guide. So people can kind of get a peek into my brain and how I go through this kind of thing with my clients. That might be really helpful for listeners too, if they're wanting to track food yeah, for a few days. They I think can so. see those yeah,
0: We're going to get to that in a little bit. Um, so I listened to you a couple of times, a few different podcasts. And on both of those podcasts, you brought up something that I never would have thought about. Didn't even occur to me digestive enzymes. What is Mm. a digestive enzyme and why do we want it?
1: Yeah. So your body makes digestive enzymes, right? And they help to break down our food so that you can use it. And, um, it's this really cool, I think maybe this is what you're referring to Dan, but this like orchestra that all works together in sync. Um, you were talking about like pH of your stomach and everything before. So we'll go into that a little bit, but so you take a bite of food, right? And you chew it up. 30 to 40 times per bite to applesauce consistency. I seriously, like, get so many comments from people saying, wow, Katie, I chewed my food for three days and all my digestive symptoms are gone. Like... (laughs) I'm like, please don't pay me. Please do not hire me for me to tell you to chew your food. Like, try it. Chew your food 30 to 40 times per bite. That allows your stomach to release stomach acid. Your stomach actually releases about 20% of the stomach acid before you ever even take your first bite. If you'll just sit there and think about the food for a minute and relax and like allow yourself to kind of salivate, that triggers it. And then your stomach's ready to receive that meal that you're going to be putting into it instead of playing catch up. So a lot of people kind of going back to the heartburn, stomach acid conversation we were having earlier, think stomach acid is bad, right? Like you have heartburn. Oh, it's because I have too much stomach acid. It's actually most often because you don't have enough stomach acid to break down that food that you haven't chewed, that you've wolfed down in a distracted way and probably overeaten. So just being more mindful of chewing your food really well, taking 15 to 30 minutes to really slowly eat a meal and savor each bite. And you're going to eat a lot less too. So if you're trying to lose weight, you're going to feel satisfied a lot earlier because it takes about thirty minutes for that signal to reach your brain. So your stomach is super acidic, and that's to kill any pathogens, any bad bugs that might be on the food, or parasites, or anything like that. Not much can survive in the stomach, so it's it's almost completely sterile. Um, then that so that food is released into the small intestine and the small intestine is not wired for that high acidity it doesn't have the strong lining of the stomach so whenever that acidic mixture it's now called chyme is released into the small intestine your body wants to neutralize that acidity so it releases Basic digestive enzymes. So these are going to be coming from the pancreas to help break down carbohydrate and some fat and protein, as well as from the gallbladder. They're they're made um, bile acids are made in the liver, then stored in the gallbladder to be released as a bolus or a large amount all at once to go in and um, emulsify or mix up with that acidic mixture and neutralize it. And then it goes down. But if you don't have enough acid to begin with, it never stimulates the rest of those digestive enzymes. So those that food is really struggling to get broken down. So that's where a lot of people may find themselves with really slow motility because your body is like holding on to it, really trying to break it down. That's where you're gonna be more like constipated, bloated, gassy. Or running to the bathroom with diarrhea because your body is just like I can't break this down, trying to flush it out of your system. So those digestive enzymes are really, really important.
0: You know, so my statement about pH was based entirely on a hypothesis of my own. But when I was, uh, my grandma had she ate hums like candy. I just figured that's what she did. But in eighth grade, I ended up going, I forgot what what version of it was, but I, I took a barium milkshake, which is just horrible uh, because for for years I was complaining about having, it would just come, uh, like heartburn, but just all yeah. the way up and just, it's like unbelievable, it just, it hurt. It's it so
1: painful. Painful, yeah. and
0: unpleasant and nothing good about it. And I, and. Back then, I don't think anybody knew about if they did, they weren't talking about it. And there was, certainly wasn't social media to share it. So I had no way of knowing that gut biome and gut health was a thing. So yeah. my diet was a <laughs> purely crap diet. Um, and it's it's not that my parents were trying to be mean to us. My parents were doing yeah. what everybody else did. But mm-hmm. I ate a lot of candy, I ate a lot of dessert, I ate a lot of white bread, I ate a lot of th- chips things uh, pasta things that are going to cause a lot of problems and it, it they didn't discover anything there wasn't any big hole no ulcer like well everything looks normal we don't know what's going on thanks Doc.
1: yeah which even though as we know a lot more now that's still kind of what people hear a lot so, so, so <laughs> still happening to people everywhere
0: about I, the, the keto thing the keto ish Thing for me is probably two years old. Four or five years ago, two or three years before that, I started cutting back on sugar, and mostly it was like, you know, I'm I'm a little bit flabbier than I want to be, and I don't. Some of the sugar I eat isn't. It's like it's just crap candy bars. Stop with that stuff. When mm-hmm. you to eat sugar, at least make it good sugar. Get the good ice cream. Really,
1: drink. really delicious. Yeah, yeah. Man, if you're
0: gonna if you eat it, eat the good stuff. So I cut out yeah. a lot, and the. And the almost first thing that changed was Noma Harper. It's like, whoa. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is... And so now if I overindulge in sweets, and overindulge sounds like a lot. Overindulge for sweets for me is, is maybe half a portion for somebody. It doesn't mm-hmm. take very much for the stomach to say, hey, we thought we talked about this. We want that out of here. It's gonna And so now <laughs> there's, no, this is what you get. And so here we have some acid. Okay, that's the limit. Today's done. And yeah. it never occurred to me until about a minute ago that maybe it wasn't a too much acid problem. Maybe it's a too little acid problem.
1: Hmm. I have no maybe idea. Maybe a too little acid problem. Maybe a, yeah, I mean, your body just can't, is struggling to break that sugar down. You could have more of a, like sucrase is the digestive enzyme that breaks down sucrose. So you could have kind of a sucrase deficiency, um, which can be genetic. So could be a few different things contributing to that.
0: No, my main concern is not having that feeling anymore, and so yeah. <laughs> I figured out I would you
1: just avoid it.
0: I, I can I can prevent that entirely. So I whatever it is, I'm not really interested, in. and I don't care to spend the money to find out because I
1: know what to do to prevent it. The solution is the same. Yeah, it's cool that you have that much respect for your body because I talk to so many people who know they feel bad when they eat something, but they do it anyway. And it's that's just, just not respecting your body. It's just silly. So I'm glad glad to hear that you are able to come up with that solution. It hurts
0: my feet when I walk across the gravel.
1: Well, I'm <laughs> going to go do it again. Yeah.
0: There are shoes over there. pants shoes. Yeah. shoes. That's, that's modern technology. I'm not doing that. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah, I know people like that too. Um, I think – we did, I, I danced around the, the, this concept, but we didn't really talk about it. I think it's important to, and, and maybe, maybe recording, writing down or in an app or something, figure out what's normal for you. Because one mm-hmm. size can't fit all, and certainly it's not going to fit you. What's So my thing with sugar and knowing where that – it's a very, very fine line and too much, and I know what happens. And I can fix this, the next day I don't do it. Um, but what's, what is – I think that requires self-reflection. It requires self-study. It requires paying attention. What is your normal body function? And if it's not normal, do you want it to be? And yeah. how do you get there? And so um, give you a website just because we're kind of leading up to that. So people can get this tool to figure out how to make themselves better.
1: Yeah, absolutely. My website is nourishthrivewellness.com um, and they can click. You know there's a link up at the top for them to get my free symptom tracker but it's great it tracks your elimination it tracks your food it tracks how you're feeling it's a really great self-reflection tool and another question that you just asked that I think is so important is is your function normal and do you want it to be what do you want you know I think that's another question that people don't ask themselves enough and what do you want your life to look like you know what do you want to look like when you're 85 years old and how can you, start you taking want to steps? be 85 years old <laughs> yeah yeah how can you st- start taking steps today that will make that future a reality you know because you are creating your future every single day so i love that question
0: uh, you know and i don't think it's exclusive to americans but that's the culture that i know it seems to me that for the most part is certainly with with access to everything that tastes good and that's it's not really a bad metric taste is important if this is really healthy but it tastes like absolute foot fungus well then I'm not going to eat it
1: exactly <laughs> so
0: taste taste is important i don't diminish taste but there has to be more than just the immediate gratification and and it might be a people thing that people just sort of don't want delayed gratification. It's hard to see by not eating chocolate brownies for dessert every day this month. It's going to have an impact into my life a year from now, five years from now. You know, I could get hit yeah. by a bus tomorrow. I might not be here. Well, right. yeah, could be. But if you don't get hit by the bus and <laughs> you look like the people in the grocery store, Yeah, yeah, you're gonna really
1: regret it, you know, in years to come. And I think that's where it comes back to like the individualization, you know, and everyone having to find the right balance for them, you know, and for some people that may look like, you know what, we have a family tradition on Friday nights, and it's family pizza night with games. And I'm not willing to change that right now, because it's really important. But I'm going to get a cauliflower crust pizza and we're going to serve it with a side salad. And I'm going to have one piece of pizza and a really robust, awesome nutrient filled salad. I'm going to chew my food really well. <laughs> and I'm going to listen to my body. And And you can still enjoy that, you know, if that's what you want to want to create. So
0: my wife is um, Hashimoto's. So we've we've and and she'll be the first to admit that she doesn't follow all the rules, rules Rules is the wrong word, all the recommendations, all the suggestions. One thing she has eliminated is gluten-free or uh, gluten. So as a, <laughs> I've mentioned before on the show, as the professional baker, I like gluten.
1: That's challenging. So it is a
0: challenge. <laughs> and gluten-free baking is much, much harder than people would think who don't gluten-free bake. Um, so we, I, we did find, and they've sort of crafted a Pretty stinking good cauliflower pizza crust. It's not, no, it's not exactly the same, um, and and I don't do bread all that much. But I do once in a while. I do gluten free Detroit style pizza, which is pretty good. <laughs> so, um, so we do do that. Uh, there are ways. There are ways to. Sacri- Depending on your emotional attachment to the thing, sacrifice might be the right word. It might be yeah. the necessary thing. To me, it isn't a sacrifice. It's a it's a change. It's a thing we mm-hmm. – it's substitute. That's the word I'm looking for. Yeah. It's a substitute. The preference is that one. The substitute is going to be a little bit less off, but how mm-hmm. I feel about it. And then that really does make a difference. How I feel after eating it. Not just emotionally or guiltily, but physiologically, I feel right. better. It's like, wow. Yeah. You know, this this is a, this is this
1: is a good substitute. It. Yeah. And I think that's a good question too, is your emotional attachment to food because food is emotional and it is social, but we need to also make sure that we are emotionally fulfilled in other ways, right? And not using food To help us emotionally, you know, we're, we're, I heard it on a podcast recently where, you know, um, food comes first instead of food coming last. So, like, you are fueling yourself to live your certain life in a certain way. So, you're eating in a certain way to do that versus life happening and then eating. Based on how life went, so that would be like, oh, I had a really rough day, so I'm going to, you know, commiserate, or I'm gonna I had a great day and I'm gonna celebrate with food. You know, it's really using food to fuel your day and inspire your day to be great and help create your day.
0: Well, there's there's a the bit of a behavior modification there with the uh, yeah. reinforces the food, or mm-hmm. uh, so reinforcing the good day, and I don't know what you call it. It's not punishment, but. Um, You know, years ago in in cooking, talking about the difference between the French culture and the American culture is Americans live to eat and French eat. Mm -hmm. No, the Americans eat to live and French live Mm -hmm. to eat because it's just savoring. Now, there's Mm -hmm. more to it than that. But the point was that uh, the the point of the cook was to sort of bash on Americans for not taking the time to appreciate food in its fullness and its vastness. And they're just sort of shoving things in their face while they're driving between drive throughs It's like, well, that's actually a valid point.
1: And I think it goes to taste too. You were saying, you know, we're just eating based on how it tastes. But I think that our taste buds and our taste preferences have gotten so narrow and so basic and so limited where we're just wanting the sugar, salt, fat, whenever you expand what you're eating you have so many more flavors you know you have different herbs and spices and more nuances and i think it actually expands your eating experience and makes food more delicious and your taste buds change too to where you know if you're eating like you know probably you and i are eating dan for a while and then you go back and eat a cheeseburger from a drive through or whatever and you're like man this just is not Doing it for me anymore, you know, because our our tastes have adapted. Our tastes have adapted.
0: It doesn't even the smell. I adore it I actually go to McDonald's. The smell. Yeah. Isn't it nothing? It's like this is mm. this is revolting. No. Well, so let me ask you. So if we're, and this is this might be all tied together. So we have a myopic selection of things we prefer to eat. So we're excluding. Let's just let's just make it easy. Ninety-five percent of the foods possible we're excluding. Obviously, not everybody's going to want to eat all of that ninety-five percent. Right. But even let's say we expand it from five percent to twenty percent. You increase it three. I'm not. I'm not good at math. Threefold, fourfold. (laughs) Is it also the case by increasing all these new foods, we're increasing the opportunities for making happy tummy bugs happier and maybe even new happy tummy bugs.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So there was actually a really cool study done called the 30 Foods Study, and it showed that people who ate at least 30 different plant foods over the course of the week had significantly reduced IBS symptoms. So you think about 30 different foods, that's actually not all that many. It's not like it's 130, you know, 30 different foods. I wouldn't say if you're eating, you know, a lot of people come to me and they're like, Katie, I can eat five foods. You know, that's all I can safely eat without flaring my symptoms. Um, If you're one of those people, don't try and eat like 30 foods tomorrow. You know, you probably need some more help um, because you have more stuff going on. But if you're just following like that standard American diet processed foods, try to track how many plant foods you're eating for a week. And if you're not getting 30 try doing 30 and you're going to seriously increase and improve those good tummy bugs, which crowd out those opportunistic tummy bugs and you're going to feel a lot better.
0: That's a good, yeah, that's good. So that's, there's a good reason to expand your palate even by double. Yeah. If you like five, find, find five more.
1: It doesn't have to be extreme all or nothing. It can just incremental shifts and pivots can have a really big impact.
0: Well, that's good to know. So those are the things that that we can it's not the Alzheimer's thing, but things we can see in a day or two. We can see, yeah. And um, for this is this is probably an unfair question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. For people okay. who think they're depressed, or they know they're depressed, or and and. It's it's not like I stub my toe in the morning and I'm depressed about being in pain all day. I think more in the like the closer to something I'm not even sure what it means to stay clinically depressed, but something really going on. Is there can there be a diet connection to to that? And again, this is no way to know because everyone's gonna yeah. be different, but is it what since a lot of meds seem to have been started by examining when people eat plants, then this thing changes. Um, is there a way to manage for depression by picking different foods?
1: Yeah. So, and I think that's a fair question. And I think, you know, physical pain can cause, you know, actual depression too. So like clinical depression. Um, but about 80% of serotonin, which is the feel good, um, you know, neurotransmitter um, is produced by the gut microbiome. So if you're in those good tummy bugs specifically, so if those good tummy bugs are, are down, they're starving to death, you know, I said they are making nutrients for you, serotonin and dopamine those are part of what's being made by those good tummy bugs. So you are having reduced serotonin and dopamine levels by, um, you know, allowing those microbes to starve. So just by eating more plant foods and bolstering your gut health and boosting your microbiome, you know, people might see a reduction in those depression symptoms.
0: Okay. And I don't know if there's a connection here, but is there a connection between mitochondrial health and gut health?
1: Yes, there is. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, um, there's gram-negative bacteria. Okay, um, it's type of bacteria. If you like go back to biology class in high school, um, you probably studied them under a microscope. Um, but they have what's called LPS, which is a toxin in their cell wall. Um, so, you know, think about like a bubble, right, it is going to be this little bacteria. And the outside of the bubble is the cell wall. And they have this LPS, this lipopolysaccharide. And it's a toxin to us. So whenever those cells die, those bacteria die, those toxins are released. They're actually endotoxins. Um, If you have leaky gut, this is going to happen even more quickly, um, where they can go through your gut, you know, and get absorbed and circulated throughout your entire body. And those are toxins. And they can actually, you know, very simply speaking, it's more complicated than this, but just very, very simply speaking speaking go in and basically attack and impact your mitochondria and your mitochondria produce energy so they can make you feel you know if they're not working right they make you feel sad and run down it can be hard to lose um lose that extra weight that you're you know struggling to lose so there's a really big connection there between weight and metabolic function and gut health so if those gram negative bacteria are imbalanced and overgrown you're going to have more of this LPS, your gut lining is damage, and they're going to negatively harm those mitochondria, which makes it harder to lose weight. So,
0: What does endotoxin mean?
1: Yeah, endotoxin is – so endo is inside, right? Toxin, so it's, it's it goes inside the cell um, and is a toxin there. So the mitochondria are inside our cells. All right. So that make sense?
0: Yeah, well, and, and the – Mitochondria. I talked to a biochemist a couple of years ago, and it's still one of the most popular episodes about mitochondria and the powerhouse of the yeah. cell. And and I've just so been,
1: fascinating.
0: It it really truly is, and I've just been reading more about it. And it's just uh, my frame. My my takeaway was happy mitochondria make happy humans. we yes, happy humans. They do. And yep. it's just, it's stunning that that little teeny, teeny thing can have such a big impact. But
1: huge it- impact and huge impact on like longevity and quality of life and all of that. So there's this huge longevity movement coming through, you know, right now, which is cool. But um, you want longevity and good quality of life as you get older. You've got to pay attention to mitochondria and gut health because they're impacted by your gut health too. So, Man.
0: all right. Well, I think we've got a good start here. And there's, and, I think one of the things that gets in the way of people pursuing learning about gut health is it's not a People magazine issue. Mm-hmm. You don't just read one article and say, "Well, I got it." No, <laughs> it's yeah. it's a lot, and it's a lot. There, there's a lot to know. There's a lot more to find out, and and I mentioned those gurus. And one of the really big challenges is how how does any one person separate legitimately good information from legitimately bad information especially when the bad information sounds so compelling yeah that's like jeez yeah,
1: it's it's a challenge you know and it's something i really try to Navigate every day of how can I help people see through all of this, you know? And I think it goes back to being responsible for our own health. If anyone is claiming that they have the one solution for you, if they can rescue you, if they can fix all of your problems, they're over promising. Mm-hmm. You know, there's just nobody out there. There's not one person that can fix everything for you. You are your own solution, right? You have to be. And it's this journey. It's going to take time. Health is not a destination, it's a journey, it's a state of being and it. it's a journey to be there. You aren't at healthy, you become healthy, you uh-huh. are healthy. So, <laughs>
0: right.
1: um, you know, I think that's a huge red flag. If you see these claims, if it feels too good to be true, if they're big, bold claims that are real grabby, they're claiming they can fix all your problems, I would run the other way. You know, they've got to take a balanced approach. You've got to find somebody who resonates with where you're at too, you know, and what... Sounds good, because there could be a colleague of mine sitting right next to me, and we both overall have the same approach, but our perspectives may be slightly different, and the way we go about it might be different, and they may be a better fit for you personally, you know, and that's fine. I think we all have our own unique gifts and talents to bring to the world, and so really finding somebody that you connect with versus has all these big flashy claims, you know, is really important, too.
0: Well, yes, I agree with that. Now, so in all of the things I've gone through, and I, I, I pondered the carnivore idea because the people I listened to made really, very re- convincing. Yeah, <laughs> they're good speakers, and they made good mm-hmm. arguments. Say, like, okay, I get this. But I keep going back to so my uh, Kyle is the his name. Um, Kyle has done everything. He he he's done the raw everything, <clears throat> just because. And Kyle's, I think, fairly unique. He did raw diet to find out what happens.
1: Yeah, just an experiment. Yes, so I've been guilty of that sometimes, not as extreme of raw or carnivore, but uh, yeah, he
0: did them all. He found them all to find out. So the only thing he can speak to authoritatively is what it did to him. Mm -hmm. But there's at least a reasonable extrapolation to somebody else, and so. What I've decided, and I run all these crazy ideas by Kyle, is that 100 years ago, Granny was right. Everything in moderation, um, Mm -hmm. and certainly sugar in moderation, processed foods in moderation, and I would even go further and say processed foods probably to exclusion, but as a parent with kids who who see that stuff with their kids' lunches at school and get that stuff that yeah. sport you know, oh great, great, great game. Kids here have your treat and it's just it's just processed food. Well it's- and
1: it, there comes to be with kids, too, and even people, that emotional component where you don't want to cause damage emotionally because you're the parent that never lets them have anything. And now they've grown up super restricted. Right. And, you know, if you kind of let kids like feel. Oh wow! I ate way too much birthday cake, and I'm not going to do that again. Kids are a lot better at respecting their bodies than adults are. <laughs> they can right. learn those lessons a lot earlier. Sorry to interrupt, but it's just there's that component too, right? Where you have to be so careful with kids, especially as a you know girls with girls. You you really have to be careful with their relationship with food.
0: Well, my one of mine is she's the girl. She's the kid. I, I knew a I knew a guy like this. I knew a guy who lived on cigarettes, beer, and peanut M and M's and was as thin as real six foot two yeah. and it could disappear turn sideways yeah um my daughter doesn't live on cigarettes and beer but she's just she's just thin. gonna be thin that's she's got yeah she's she's got grandpa's genes and nothing gonna change that the other daughter well she got the eastern european side so mm-hmm. she's, <clears throat> she's gonna have a rough
1: that's hard as sisters to seeing like what one sister does or even in a couple, you know, my husband is very thin and kind of like that. Like you could eat complete junk, you know, probably not feel great, but he would be thin still, you know? And so that can be challenging to, to see, to live with somebody who doesn't, doesn't matter what they eat. It, you know, well, it is and on, so, the outside, on the outside. <laughs>
0: yeah. So the the young one wants to eat, you know, Nutella and banana sandwiches for lunch. And it's like, you know, I just, I don't want to do that because there's there's I I don't anyway it's 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 it's, it's, it's tough it's really is it's very very difficult to manage and it's easy yep. for me I have my preferences and those things that make you know you know caramelized cabbage and chicken livers oh what did you cook oh breakfast <laughs> one it smells terrible well oh, then don't, don't eat it I won't good more for me <laughs> great uh, so I'm okay with that. Um, Well, I think that's a good start. Then there's, like I said, there's just, there's, there's so much more to go into, but uh, really this was just a, a gut biome primer. I want to move into a sort of a, they they call it now uh, the quick fire. So it's just a short answer part of the show, which I think is kind of fun. My neighbor picked up a copy of my cookbook, Cooking for Comfort, and lets me know when she's making the recipes and also how much she loved the dish. She likes it so much, she bought a copy for her friend. Pick up your copy of Cooking for Comfort from the blog page, culinarylibertarian.com slash cooking for comfort or on Amazon. Of the five flavors, sweet, salty, bitter, sour, or umami, which one's your favorite?
1: Mm, umami, for sure.
0: What's your favorite food?
1: Ooh. Favorite food. I have to say roasted broccoli. I know that that's like a very nutritionist answer. It is so good. <laughs> it's like it's like that umami kind of flavor with a little bit of bitter and it's kind of crunchy with the oil. You know, you put a little bit of avocado oil, roast it, put whatever, you know, seasonings you want on it. It's so good. I
0: do a similar thing with cabbage
1: mm-hmm. and
0: bacon and just like caramelize the bacon and the cabbage together and... Just up like deep brown, not quite burnt.
1: Yeah. Burnt as
0: yep. garbage. Just, yeah. and, and that umami is like, oh my.
1: Yeah, it's God. so good.
0: And, and cauliflower too. Cauliflower cave. Yeah. I never did it with, with, with broccoli. didn't know it was possible, mm. so I gotta give it a shot. Try.
1: try it out. It's so good. You'll be so glad you did.
0: What's your least <laughs> favorite food?
1: Mm, I have a few. Which one is the least? <laughs> I'm gonna go with mushrooms. I do not like mushrooms because of the texture. So with mushrooms also comes olives because they are a very similar, like rubbery texture. I can't do it.
0: Mm.
1: (laughs) It's very sad because they're good for you, but I just can't do it.
0: (laughs) What sound do you love?
1: Uh, My girls singing to each other. I think that's really sweet.
0: What sound do you hate?
1: My girls screaming at each other. (laughs)
0: Yeah. What gets you excited
1: Uh, Seeing other people excited about their passions and dreams. I love seeing people lit up about that.
0: What turns you off?
1: Um, Whenever somebody is bitter or resentful towards somebody else, that they won't let it go.
0: If you could cook for anyone ever, who would that be?
1: Hmm. My little sister. She passed away oh. a little over ten years ago and I would love to cook for her.
0: I'm sorry. That's a good Thanks. answer. <laughs> what is your favorite food indulgence?
1: Chips and queso, Texas girl coming at you. <laughs> it has to be like the good queso, like fresh, housemade, not like the you know, canned yeah. jarred garbage. I gotcha. I got gotcha.
0: All right. Well, I actually have another part, and we have a few minutes. It's called The Chef's Table, which I do for the Patreon supporters. So we're going to give a, a pretend goodbye here. Uh, okay. Thank you very much for your time today. I appreciate it. Tons of information, so that was good news.
1: Wonderful. Thanks so much for having me.
0: My pleasure. All right, folks, that's going to do it. I'll add Katie's website address to the show notes page, culinarylibertarian.com 233. I'll also add her Facebook page. Thank you for listening. I appreciate you being here. Thanks also to my Patreon supporters. Katie's chef table portion is up on the Patreon. Become a patron with Patreon and you can access the chef's table portions of the show as well as the bonus content I put up. Recently, I added crab pate for gougeres as garnish for our crab bisque. <laughs> Those were tasty. I'll add the support page link to the show notes page. Have a good week and I'll see you soon. music for the Culinary Libertarian podcast is provided by Matthew Bankert at mattbankert.com. Well, let's actually let me take a second. <laughs> a dog needs to come in.
1: <laughs> no, you're fine. You're good.
0: <laughs> poor, poor boy. Give me one second.
1: <laughs> poor puppy. <laughs>
0: come on, buddy. Come on. All right. All right. Oh, are you happy to be inside now? You wet, stinky dog. <laughs> so, I don't, so in Texas, you don't get snow. We got winter, winter reminder. Oh, well, by the way, it's winter time again. Thanks.
1: Oh, that's fun.
0: Yeah. We
1: actually did have – It's so I grew up in the Panhandle, so the part of Texas that's like up right. at the top – by Oklahoma. And we did get snow there. We would get like a foot of snow a couple times a year. Like we get snow here. They get like ice. Oh,
0: that's And it's so
1: funny. Well, yeah. I mean, it's bad because they're not equipped. There's lots of overpasses in DFW. We don't have sand trucks or anything like that, you know? So everything shuts down for like three days, like until there's not a remnant of ice remaining anywhere. Well, things stay shut and because i did grow up like i would my mom took me to the parking lot whenever i was learning to drive and she'd pra- you know have me practice kind of skidding out in the ice and like how to correct and so i did learn <laughs> but yeah. we don't get anything like you guys <laughs> um